Well, the word mom gave us last week was excellent. I thought on it a lot, wanted to re-preach it Sunday, but I didn't think I could perfect it, so I just left it with other people need to get online and listen to it. That was great, wasn't it? Loving the Lord our God with all of our mind. What does that look like? That straightened my rope out real quick, so thank you for that word, Mom. All right, this is Faith to Live in Part 7. We've covered a lot of ground on faith. Basically what we've been doing, which we're finally going to make it to Hebrews 11 tonight at some point, but basically what we've been talking about is what I've seen as issues in the faith walk, misconceptions. And, and so we've just been covering some things that I've learned through the years, just watching from childhood up, people learning to walk in faith, me learning to walk in faith, some areas where I think we've missed it or we've misunderstood some things. I don't really like to, to call things faith failures uh, because I think it's the process of faith. We're learning to walk in faith just as Abram learned to walk in faith. I don't like to call it a failure. And at some point, I don't know, if is Brett here tonight? Brett, at some point, if you're willing, I would love for you maybe August or September to uh, do a session on death is not a failure. Would you do that for us? If I ask you in front of 100 people, it, it makes it a lot harder to say no because everybody's looking at you right now. Uh, Brett's in our Timothy Project, which is uh, people coming up with uh, learning, public speaking, and and practicing teaching the word in front of a friendly audience, mostly friendly audience, and a great experience, and Brett taught that uh, a month or two ago, and it just really ministered to me uh, that, that death is not a failure when it's a believer, so uh, we'll have him do that for us. You can let me know when you're ready, and then we'll, we'll get it on the calendar, because you get to go longer than what you go in Timothy Project. 20 minutes isn't long, is it? <laughs> All right. When God designed man, I want to talk to us about the senses tonight. When God created man in Genesis, he engineered him with five basic physical senses. You remember this from science class, right? Or biology. It's, it's sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. And, and I think it's important to realize that God put those things in us. They're not a curse. Our senses are not a curse. They have a purpose. God gave them to us for a reason. And, and they're, they're important. And they're placed in us to help us connect with the outside world, to help us make some decisions. The stove is hot. I mean, that's brilliant. It's really nice of God to give us the sense of touch so we can feel heat from something before we touch it. Don't eat that because it tastes bad. Don't drink that milk. If you can smell it when you take the cap off, that's God's gift to you, folks. If you can smell the milk, don't drink the milk. And so they're from God, and that just... I just really think sometimes we talk about the senses like they're a negative. They're a God gift. They're, they're a God gift. They, they feed us knowledge and they communicate to our brain, and that's what they were designed to do. They communicate to our brain what they perceive. Touch, I could close my eyes and feel of this, and, and it would communicate to my brain what it is. Right? 
they're, they're a godsend. Our problem comes when we start solely walking by them. They're to aid us. They're not to lead us. And, and there's a huge difference because a lot of people make their decisions based on what they're seeing, based on what they're feeling, based on what they're hearing. And y'all, we, just, we are a generation that has come through somewhat a unique time for our generation. I know other generations have seen similar things, but coming through the season of COVID and, and, and our nation and all the, the things that we heard on, on both sides, because it really became just a big political mess is what it became. We began to make our decisions based on what we were hearing rather than what God was speaking to us. And I know, you know, some people got really angry with me because I would tell people, they would say, get the shot or don't get the shot. You know what I would tell them? Ask God. Because I can't make that decision for you. God might tell you, yes, you better get it. And he might tell you, no, you better not. I can't find it in the word where he says not to or to. So you need wisdom for you. And so I really back up when people come to me and want me to make a life decision for them. Advice is one thing. But, but what you're going to hear me say most of the time is, let's pray about this. I believe God's going to give you revelation on what you need to do. And so that was a huge lesson for us during that time period on how to handle a lot of different voices saying a lot of different things, trying every one of them trying to convince us that their voice was the right voice. There is one right voice, and that comes through the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's important to know him. So it's important to hear things, but it's also important to know, as Mom said, when to listen to them or when to just hear them. And so they're useful. The senses are useful. They're a blessing unless you're making decisions off of them. And when we begin to, to reason what the senses are feeding us, reason it against the word of God, then we're really in trouble. Because the word of God is the truth. And it may be true that something looks one way. It may be true what you're hearing. But there is a higher truth than what our senses can feed us. And you, have you ever had your senses be wrong? Have you ever seen a stump that was a bear? I mean, you see something out your window. We have this uh, gas well thing on our land. And um, if it's real foggy in the valley and I look out there, it is a big buck every single time. And I know it's there. But I see it, Larry, and I'll be like, Rusty, get the binoculars. My senses, my eyesight said that's a buck. It wasn't. My eyesight was deceived. Our senses can be deceived. And so we have to be careful on how much we rely on them. I love what 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says. You can turn there if you want to. I'm going to basically give it the Susan version, but... It says that when there's a high thing, when there's a high imagination or a high thought that tries to exalt itself, 
above or against the knowledge of God, we are supposed to bring that imagination or that thought, cast it down or take it captive. When our senses feed us something that comes against, tries to exalt itself above what God says, then we have a responsibility to cast that imagination down or to take that thought captive. And we've covered that verse a couple of times, and that's not really where we're going tonight, but it came to me when I was getting my notes ready. What a great example. Because that's what the senses try to do. They try to exalt themselves above what God says. They want your attention. And they're just simply not always true. Sometimes they are accurate. Sometimes what you're seeing is really what you're seeing. Sometimes what you're hearing is really what you're hearing, what you're tasting. What, sometimes it really is accurate, but they're still not the truth if they conflict with the Word of God. My body, may, I may get up in the morning, yesterday morning, we won't give the future any power. If I woke up yesterday morning and I got up and I looked sick, that contradicts what God's Word says about me. And so I have, a, I have a choice on whether to go by the senses. There's nothing wrong with getting rest if your body needs rest, okay? Just don't let go of the promise of God of health. I believe rest is a part of health, personally. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll read it to you out of the NIV. Verse 18. We're kind of jumping in the middle here and pulling this out so you can read above and below later. Seems like 1 and 2 Corinthians were in my notes a lot tonight. So we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes not on what is seen. Doesn't mean that what you're seeing is not really there. And see, I think this is where people, when they first start learning about faith, they get really squirrely with it. It's like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. That's, that's denying what you're seeing, and there's no power in that. The power is in the fact that by Jesus' stripes you were healed, not by denying what you're seeing, not by denying what you're hearing, but there's a higher truth that will knock down... <laughs> What you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're tasting, what you're feeling, whatever. Um, what you're smelling. I always leave smell off for some reason. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And when I was reading that today, I thought, you know, it's not that you don't see things. It's that you don't fix your eyes on what you see. That's, that's a huge part to that verse. It's not that you don't see it. It's not that you're not hearing it. It's not that you're not experiencing it and that your senses aren't sending you accurate information, but you're not fixing your eyes on what you see or we could say what you sense. We fix our eyes not on what we sense, I'll say, but on what is unsensed or unseen. For what is seen is temporary I just want y'all to know that's good news yes, it 
That's good news. What you see is temporary. It is subject to change. If it's not eternal, it's subject to change. And what you see is temporary. And he goes on, he says, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, temporary, temporal changes can be changed. Eternal, not changed. That means what I'm seeing can change if I fix my eyes on that. And, and, and that's, the, that's the key. And I love that passage that there is so much power in that verse right there if we can get a hold of it. It's not that you don't see it. It's not that you don't feel it. It's not that you haven't heard it. It's not that you haven't experienced it. It's just that that is not where you're fixing your eyes because it is subject to change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, since you're there close, the apostle is talking about being present in this earthly body and then he's talking about the promise of everlasting life. And in that conversation, he makes this little, little short statement that is life-altering. He, he states that we know these things are true by believing, not because we can see them. That we know what he's saying is true because it's what the Word says. It's, it's verse 7. It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by what God said and what we believe. We walk. We take our steps of life according to what he said, not what our senses are feeding us. That's huge. That is the walk of faith. That is believing. When you can take your next step based off what God said instead of what you're sensing. Easier said than done. Yep. The senses are pretty strong and they're pretty loud and your body can talk to you pretty loud, but it's still doable. The Amplified says it this way. For we walk by faith or we regulate our life and we conduct ourselves by our conviction and by our belief. Thus we walk not by sight and not by the way things appear. That's faith. I, that's faith. I don't know how to, how to say it any plainer than what he said it. When we can conduct ourselves off of what we believe. Is he saying that we can get to a point of trust in God? We can get to a point of faith in his word that we can live and conduct our lives by what we believe and who we trust over what we ourselves see? over what we ourselves are sensing. Yeah, he is. How do we do that? We choose to. But we got to know the word and we got to trust God. And I think this is where we miss it a lot when we're, when we're teaching faith. It's not just about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's part of it. But there is a trust in his word. If we don't have a relationship with God, how do we trust his word? I don't know you. You don't know me. If I make you a promise, you'll see if I show up, right? You'll see. I mean, you want to trust me, and I want to trust you, but we don't know each other. So I trust. It really enhances our faith when we trust someone's words. Now, 
Mr. Beaky back, Beaky back there has been, that's a hard word to say, we've known each other a little bit longer. So you probably have a little more trust in me than this brother does. But Karen Wilkins back there has known me since I was 10. Oh, I was younger than that. We were 10 when we moved up here. Young. Approximately 50 years ago as of yesterday. Um, we can hang our hat on each other, so to speak. We, we, know, we know each other. We have been through life together. We have watched each other through sickness and in health and, and joy and sorrow. And, and we trust each other. Her word, I was, I was bragging on them to somebody today. I was like, you just have no idea what it's like to have people that when they say, it's, it's done. We've got to get that way with God. And if you don't have that relationship with him, then you get to know him by talking to him and reading his word, letting his word speak to you and learning how to trust what he says, watching those prayers come true and realizing that when our prayers don't seem to be answered, it's not because God failed. We're still learning to believe. We're still learning to receive. If he, if he promised it, he said his promises are yes and Amen. Amen. If he promised it and he didn't do it, then that would make him a liar, and he is not that. Amen? When God's word becomes our evidence, simply because he said it, when that's the only evidence we need is that God said it, that's when faith, faith gets strong. That's when you know that you've moved into the realm of faith. Until then, it's hope. And hope's not a bad thing. Hope is a step towards faith. Hope always puts it in the future. Faith always puts it in the now. Faith believes God will. I mean, hope believes God will. Faith believes God did. Everything was, our salvation was complete in Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ does not have to do anything else. He provided he provided. He provided a covenant with the Almighty God through his blood for us. And through that covenant, he has given us everything, the scripture says, that pertains to life and godliness. And so when we can get to the point to where we believe that that is already done and we're just receiving it. You know salvation is provided for every man? But not every man has it. When does every man get it? When they receive it. What's well, the same thing with healing or anything else? It's already done. The stripes were on his back on the cross. He provided healing. And so it's not a matter of him having to do something else. It's a matter of us learning to receive by faith. What evidence do I need? That's a good question to know if you're in faith yet. In an area. Sometimes you can be in faith in one area and not be in faith in another area just because you don't, you don't have a relationship built with the word on that subject. I've seen a lot of people be really strong in God's provision, uh, really strong in, in God's forgiveness, but really struggle with God's provision of healing 
or God's provision of mental health, as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. So, you know, you, you, you have to gain knowledge and relationship with him on those subjects, and then faith will come. But it's already provided. Faith says it's now. We'll talk about that here in a minute when we get to Hebrews 11. Well, go ahead and turn there. Let's, let's hit that now. Because that's going to answer, it's going to ask that question, what evidence do I need? This is the definition of faith. I am going to read it to you out of the Amplified. So I know most of you can quote it in your heads from the King James Version. So I'm going to mess you up. Now faith. Now faith. Faith is now. Now faith is. Is that present tense? Now faith is. Faith is not in the future. Faith is now. Now faith is my assurance. Now faith is my confirmation. Now faith is my title deed of the things that I hope for. It is the proof of the things I do not see. And it is the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Whew. That's some good stuff. Let's do it again. Now faith is. It's now. Not in the future. This is not going to happen in the future. This has already happened and I'm receiving it now. That's faith. Now faith is the assurance. What has to be your evidence? That's what he's saying. What has to be your proof? What's your proof? If, if your proof is that the word said it, and that's the only evidence you need, welcome to faith. That's what faith, this is what God said. This is who God said I am. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I'm hearing other people say about me. It, it doesn't matter other people's opinions of me. This is what God said, and that's the only proof I need. That's the only evidence I need. You can just apply it wherever it is that God's dealing with you about tonight. It the word, which is what faith produces, uh, word faith is what the word produces. Now faith is the assurance. It is my confirmation. Now here's where people mess up. They're looking for a test result as confirmation. Oh, I hear it all the time. This is what they'll say: I'm believing for a good report. I'm believing for a good report. This is your report. And no matter what the other report says, no matter what the verdict is, no matter what anybody else is saying, you stick to this. This, this is the truth. It is. Thank you, Mom. It is your confirmation. 
Be careful what you're looking at as confirmation. You're, you're praying over your, your marriage, over your relationship, over your children. What are you looking at as confirmation? Because I promise you, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And what you just prayed about is going to look like it's not coming true because he knows if he can steal the seed of the word out of your heart, it will never produce in you. Right? We talked about Mark 4 for two weeks. So what he tries to do is, he, see, Satan can manipulate the natural world. But he cannot manipulate this. He can make things look a certain way. So, you know, if you're believing God for your mate, you don't be surprised when Satan comes immediately to cause conflict, to make things look bad, or your children just start acting like they are off the wall, raised by heathens. I mean... And we, I mean, some of us have been through these things, you know. And so you've got to be, you've got to keep your nose in this truth to recognize when everything else is a lie. It's your confirmation. It's your title deed. And my dad always loved this one. And he would always have a car uh, title in his hand when he would teach on this. And it's just such a great example. If I had a car title up here tonight and... I told you that my car was out there. It was my car, but I'm not sitting in it. I'm not driving it, but I needed to prove to you that that was my car. Maybe I was going to sell it to Larry. This is my car. It's not a hot car. This is my car. I own it. How do I know I own it? Well, I have a title deed to it. You can come stand on my land. It's not your land, Greta. It's not your land. I know. And so how would I prove that it's not her land? You know, when, when the enemy says something's not yours, healing's not yours, how do you prove it is yours? Welcome to my title deed. This is who I am. I am who it says I am, and I can do what it says I can do, right? Joel Osteen, John Osteen originally, his dad. It has, the word has to become... Your title deed, your proof, your confirmation of what you're hoping for, being the proof of the things that you do not see. I'm going to say you do not see yet. And it becomes the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving. See, faith has its own set of eyes. The word can paint an image on the inside of you even when you can't see it on the outside of you. That's what the word does. It tells you who you are. It shows you who you are, and then you become what it shows you. That's how we change in lifestyle. That's how we become more Christ-like. It's our mirror, and we look in it. And so faith has its own set of eyes. I like the way the Amplified says that because it says faith perceiving. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It sees it as real fact. It is the truth. No matter what the senses are telling us, his word is the truth. Please understand it's not wise to override the senses unless it's faith. Because this is where I've seen people get a hold of hope and try to step into some things before they're in faith, and they do crazy stuff. I mean, I've been in this stuff all my life, and I've seen some crazy stuff 
when people get up, I'll say, get just enough information about faith to be dangerous. And go to smashing their glasses. I mean, wait till you don't need your glasses. Then take off your glasses. Why are you going to smash them? Because you know what happens? Next week, they got to go buy new glasses. They were in hope. They wanted it. They desired it. But, but faith doesn't demand a show. You know, if you're on medication and you're believing God for your health, wait till you don't need the medication. Unless God, unless you know that you know that you know God says for you to get off of it, why can we not believe that we would just not need it? Or that our dosages would keep going down until we don't need it? Why do we feel like we have to do something way out there? Unless God says, go dip in the river. If God says, go dip in the river, go dip in the river. But just to do something because everybody else is doing it in a meeting is not faith. And this is, this is why people get disappointed and they get embarrassed because sometimes people step out in faith before they're ready. And so don't override the senses with anything other than faith. Don't do something stupid. Um, Charles Capps will use the illustration of the airplane instruments in his airplane. You've, you've probably heard him do it. I heard Annette Caps do it just recently. You know, those instruments are there to, to help when your senses can't read things correctly. And, and that's what faith is for. So if we override the senses, if there's clouds over the mountains and you can't tell where the mountains are, you can override the senses and go into autopilot, but you better trust your instrument. That's why you practice. And, and when I say practice faith, I think, John, I think you called it exercising your faith today when we were talking in the office. You know, start on things. If you've got a headache, start, start on that. And, and trust the instrument of faith to tell you what to do. Your to-do may be to go to the doctor. Look, if you don't know where you are in faith, you could, you could kill yourself in ignorance. Ignorance is not a bad word. It just means we haven't learned yet. And so, you know, when it comes to faith, we've got we to gotta put some wisdom with faith. Wisdom and faith are friends. And it's not wrong to grow in faith. And it's not, it's not a disappointment to grow in faith. It's a process. And every single one of us in here are still growing in faith. We are still learning. We are still seeing things that help us know how to use this instrument that will help us navigate around the senses when the senses are, are not getting us where we're supposed to go. A great example is in Mark 5. Uh, Jairus, if you'll remember, Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, and he came to find Jesus because his daughter was at the point of death. And Jesus agrees to go with Jairus to his house and to heal this girl. In the meantime, the woman with the issue of blood stops the procession and, and is healed, and Jesus deals with her. And in Mark 5, verse 35, Jesus is still speaking uh, to the woman with the issue of blood. And it says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. 
Well, how are you going to navigate around that? Your daughter is dead. That's what the dad here in this picture is hearing. That's what his senses are hearing. They said, your daughter's dead. Why would you trouble the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, and I just, if you write in your Bible, just circle that as soon as. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he spoke. This is important. When you hear something, when you see something, when you feel something, when you smell something, when you, something that comes against the word, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken against what he said he was going to do, he spoke. He spoke and he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. He captured that guy and his own, protected their faith. The senses heard, not just the dad's senses, Jesus heard. And he immediately protected against what the senses were telling him. And he said, nope, don't you get into fear. No matter what you're hearing right now, don't you get into fear because fear is a magnet just like faith is a magnet. And it depends on what you want to draw to you right now. So he didn't just say stop. Jesus spoke something. And I have to talk to myself a lot. When my senses are talking to me, I, I have to talk back. <laughs> I have to talk back. Otherwise, I'm entertaining the senses and I'm starting to listen to them. And, and so the senses... What he heard and Jesus' word were contradicting. So Jesus responds, and it was key how he responded. And he spoke, don't get in fear, only believe. When your senses can't see things correctly, you've got to go back to the instrument that you've been trained on. Right here, his word. That's the instrument you've been trained. It'll never fly you into a mountain. It'll never cause you to crash. It is, it is a true instrument of God. And, and we've got to learn to trust it. And one way we learn to trust it is becoming familiar with it and, and exercising it, practicing with it. I love how Jesus handled that situation and that how he showed us how to handle it. One of my favorite parts of Philip Steele's book that I've mentioned to y'all many times. It's called Every Day is a Faith Day, and it's one of the best books you can hand somebody that does not know anything about believing God, about faith. It's called Every Day is a Faith Day. It is very practical. It is excellent. I refer to it a lot because he addresses in one of his chapters that Christians, people that are learning about faith, often fear the knowledge that comes from the senses or what they hear go into the doctor, they fear it. They fear it. They fear knowledge. And he, he covers this whole thing about knowledge and faith don't conflict. They don't have to. 
In fact, he says sometimes knowledge can help you in your faith because you can know more specifically what you're dealing with and you can target it. And so one of the things I've seen through the years is that people are afraid to know what is wrong. They're afraid to know what is wrong. They're afraid to know what is happening. Faith, this is one, these are just quotes from him, okay? Faith is not afraid of your circumstances or how they look, sound, feel, taste, or smell. Faith is not afraid of that. Fear and faith don't cohabitate, folks. One will take over the other. Faith does not have to be kept in the dark because faith is not hindered by the knowledge of your circumstances. I love that. Faith does not have to be kept in the dark. It doesn't have to be kept in the dark. It's okay to know things. It's just not okay to be ruled by them. But it can help your faith. It can aid your faith, add to your faith knowledge. It's not hindered by the knowledge of your circumstances. He gave different examples. When Jesus was uh, casting the demon out of uh, a boy, before he did, he asked the dad, he said, how long has he been this way? Most Christians wouldn't want to know that because it would hinder their faith. He's been that way for 10 years? Or he's been that way for, or you've had this for that long? You've, been, you've never walked? You're, that information... They see as a hindrance. Jesus didn't or he wouldn't have asked it. He would ask questions. Why? Because it helped him help them in their faith. It's often how he would respond to them or what he would have them do would be according to the knowledge that he would ask them about. And so that just really opened up some things for me. Not to be afraid of knowledge. He said, the balance in the application of faith allows us to be aware of the problem without being obsessed with the problem. We can can know information. We can know about things. We can be aware of the problem without being obsessed by the problem. We do not have to allow knowledge of the circumstance to pull us over into human reasoning. See, that's... That's where we get. If we get too much information and we start pondering the information instead of pondering the word, then we're giving human reasoning to it and we'll talk ourselves out of the promises of God. We'll, we'll talk ourselves out of faith. You may have to think on these, and if you need to take a picture of these, you can. And then he, he said we can combine knowledge with our faith. It's okay. Stop being afraid of the knowledge. Stop being afraid of having facts about the circumstances. That should not hinder our faith if we're in faith. It's not moved by the circumstances. In fact, it can aid us in our faith and know where we have issues and and what we need to target. We don't need our senses to quit working. We don't need our senses to quit working. We just need our faith to keep working. We don't need our senses to quit working. We need our faith to keep working. We've got to keep senses in their place, but they should not be a hindrance. Knowledge that they send us shouldn't be. If your body doesn't feel good and you feel that, 
you feel and you feel hot, you know you have a fever, that shouldn't hinder your faith. That should activate your faith. If you see something in your marriage, you see something in your children, that shouldn't hinder your faith. That should activate your faith. So senses don't have to be an issue. They don't have to be if we use them as an instrument the way they were meant to be used instead of a hindrance. Very quickly, let's talk about how you know if you're in faith. I've never really studied the scripture out, and so I encourage you to go back and, and read, but I'm just going to refer to it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I looked at it a little bit today, and I want to do further study on it, but this is Bible study night, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. It says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves? You know, it's okay to know if you're not in faith. In fact, it's excellent to know if you're not in faith because then you, you know you need to build the word in you on that subject. If you don't know where you are, you know the maps at the mall? You are here. If you don't know where you are, you don't know how to get to where you need to be. So know where you are in faith. And if you're lacking in faith in an area and you realize it, great. You know what you need to work on. You know where you need understanding of Father God and what he's provided for you and, or what he's provided for other people that you're ministering to. You know you're in faith if the word is the only evidence you need. Do you remember when the guy came to Jesus and he said, hey, my servant is ill and Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And he looked at him and he said, you don't have to come. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He was a soldier, so he understood what it meant to tell somebody to do something that it would obey. He understood he had had authority over him as a soldier and he had soldiers under him. And so he understood authority, but all he said was, all I need is for you to speak the word. He turned around and left Jesus there and went home with just Jesus speaking the word. That's our goal. That's our goal. And if word came along the way that something didn't look, can you just trust what Jesus said? That's, that's faith. What evidence do you need? The other thing is, are you fully persuaded? If you can be talked out of it, you will be talked out of it. If you, if you can be talked out of it, you will be talked out of it. Romans 4 talks about the father of our faith, Abraham. And it's such a, a great passage. We're just going to jump in verse 17, and then I'll quit and let y'all talk. Verse 17 through 21 it's talking about Abraham, and it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That was God's promise to Abram. It was not received the next day. Abram had to learn how to walk in faith, but the promise stood. God didn't take back his promise. The promise stood. He says, Before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's how God operates. 
He calls those things that be not as though they were. The senses will tell you it's not true. You're not healed. You're not set free. Your marriage is not going to work. He can tell you all these things. But faith calls those things which be not as though they were. Why? Because faith is now. Who against hope, Abram, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Try that one. <laughs> considering not your own body. Not considering it. Just don't consider it. It's so easy for me to stand up here and say. But we're pretty much all adults. Abraham, Abraham had to go in the tent. <laughs> he had to go in the tent. He knew when his body wasn't working. He knew when it wasn't producing. Consider not your own body now dead as far as child producing. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. The woman he's sleeping with was old. He saw she was old. He felt she was old. He heard she was old. Now, she was, she was a looker. If you'll remember, a couple of guys tried to, you know, wanted her for a wife. But he still knew she was old. He knew she was past the age of childbearing. They still had to go to the tent. You know, that takes faith. It's okay to say, yeah, I know what we're talking about here, and you're all adults, so just, yeah. They had to go to the tent. It's okay. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, we can read that sometimes, and I think, but he did stagger. I mean, the whole Hagar thing. Yeah. Try to have a baby with a maid. Sarah initiated it. But you know what? He was correctable. He was teachable. And the Scripture calls that walk of faith not a failure, but that he staggered not. That's good news for me. Amen. That's good news for me. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He, he would let God correct him. He would le let God teach him the process of faith. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded. Whew. If you're fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to perform, that means you cannot be persuaded that it would not come to pass. Even if it looked like it was failing, even if it looked like it wasn't happening, even if the people around you were talking about how old you were or that you couldn't produce, even if your own wife was laughing at the very promise that God gave, he was fully persuaded. And when we're fully persuaded, we'll be fully teachable. God, I, when we know that what God said, the promise he gave us, is true, then, then we will not back off. We will let God teach us. When it looks like we've, we've not succeeded in an area, we know it was not God holding. It says he will not withhold any good thing from us. It wasn't God 
We let him teach us if we're fully persuaded that what he said he can perform. And he can. And he did. And because of that, Abraham is called the father of our faith. Not because he was perfect in it, but because he never stopped the process. Just never stopped the process of faith. If it, if it looks like you stumbled, you've made a mistake, that you've messed up, if you're fully persuaded that what God promised he can perform, then you'll correct and you'll get back on track. So you'll know you're in faith if you're fully persuaded. Your faith may not be full grown unless you look like Jesus. It's not full grown. But man, you can get a lot done with mustard seed faith. I mean, sometimes I just think we, we don't believe for things because we think we've got to have this. And he's pretty, pretty insistent that if you've got a little bit of faith in him, he could do a whole lot. I think we cut him short. Children of Israel, he said that they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him. They limited him. Why? Because they didn't believe.